we go. Good evening. So we are learning a topic which is a standalone topic tonight. We're taking a little bit of time to, to focus on something which I find intriguing, uh, which is a, 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 a series of dots which I don't find are often connected, which is a, uh, the topic this year is called the Silent Tribe. We're going to explore some of the underpinnings of what makes the makings of the, some of the characters that we, we meet and we love in the story of, um, of Esther. Um, so one of the interesting things about the, 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 the individuals we find is that we are at an interesting period in time in Jewish history. We usually look at all of Israel and we say there's 12 tribes of Israel and you know all one big melting pot and we're all very happy and brothers, brothers and sisters. But the truth is at the time that the exile actually happens, around the time, of, this, um, uh, 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 of the, the end of the first base of Migdash. At that point in time, there really are only two tribes left. Now, yes, there's Levi slash Kohanim, and there's a whole bunch of them. We're going to hear about them later on when they return to Zion. But really, technically speaking, there are only two tribes, and they are Yehuda and Binyamin, because those are really the only two tribes left in the south, the northern tribes, the eastern tribes, all disappeared or all exiled previously already a century beforehand at the times of Sancherev, the king of Assyria. So the Assyrians did multiple military tours. They first took away the eastern tribes, and they took away the, then they took about the way the northern tribes, and then they took away all the tribes that had disappeared, um, except for Yehuda and Binyamin in the south, which now gives us a fresh reading when we read the, the words we're about to say on the night of Purim. What do we say to ourselves? We say out loud as a community, the first of the four verses we say, um, uh, along with or just before the I have the Baal Kore, the, the person reading, is Ish Yehudi Ayab Shushada Birao, Shmor Mordechai Ben Yoir Ben Shimi Ben Kish Ish Yemini. So, so it's interesting that we hear that he's an Ish Yemini. Ish Yemini doesn't mean he was right handed. That wasn't his persuasion of how he threw the ball or wrote, wrote his, uh, his edicts. It means that he was from the tribe of Binyamin. But then there becomes an interesting point about the beginning of the Pasuk, which says that he was an Ish Yehudi. Yehudi at this point in time may mean he is Jewish, but it could also mean. He is Yehuda. Yehuda. Right, which means to say that Mordechai presents to us as a very interesting individual who shares the commonalities of being from a tribe, uh, a tribe of Yehuda and a tribe of Binyamin. He seems to be this this, this p- pivotal character between the two tribes of exile. That's going to play an interesting role. So, so as we go through this, it's important to sort of expand and understand this um, the, this dynamic and how how it relates to to to, to Mordechai. In fact, the Gemara is so troubled by this. Just so, just in case, we're not the only people who pick up on this. The Gemara is so troubled by this. And the Gemara says, you know, maybe maybe it was at the, his mother's side, his father's side, right? Maybe it was the one side was Binyamin, the other side was Yehuda, because it seems like it's, it's a, a discrepancy in, in description as to who is he, who is this Mordechai. He seems to be a little bit of both. So let's let, let's go a little further in the Megillah, and we now hear that when Esther is um, is is abducted by the king. Um, so she's under strict instructions to 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 not tell anything. We're told, "Ain Esther my geres So she doesn't tell anybody her 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 her, uh, her, her people. But you notice it wasn't just her people she didn't t- t- talk about. What didn't she t- talk about? Molarita, her birth as well. Now, all she needed to do was just hide and cover up her passport to show which na- nationality she was not. What about her birth? What was the, what was the significance of birth? Something about a birth might, might indicate more than just nationality, but po- po- possibly even tribal association as well. Why is she hiding that? Like, why is that a part of her identity that she's not, she's not, she's not uncovering either? seems that there's something more central that, that, that is going on over here. So we have this curious individual, Mordechai, seems to be related to Esther in some way or another. Because um, I'll discuss some of the variations or possibilities. But she herself will not reveal not only her nationhood, but her 
tribal association as well. And finally, the last piece of that we're going to look at just to, to these are all very well-known ideas, and this is essentially the pivotal piece of the entire Megillah, is this is the turning point of where things start moving from passivity into action, where Esther, who is an individual who seems to be, so to speak, the um, object of the sentence becomes the subject of the sentence, where she starts, stops being the, uh, the, the, the lackey of somebody else and she becomes the leader. So at this point in time, the heroine emerges when Mordechai says to her the incredible thing, the incredible verse. Actually, welcome to close the door if you want to. If you, yeah, it's, it's this time of Mari, we always have this, this, this extra traffic. Um, so Mordechai says, says remember this, this conversation is going on via agent. So there's a shliach going backwards, forwards, backwards, forwards, trying to, and trying to tell us what's going on over here. So he tells her, Don't think you're going to escape. Don't think you're going to come out high and dry. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen that you're going to, you're going to be able to escape. If you will be silent, you think that you're going to keep quiet. And there will be salvation which will come from another place and you and your father's house will be destroyed. And who knows if this is not the reason why you arrived in your station and your, at, in your place in society. Notice something interesting over here is if we want to follow through the theme of Jew, we're called Yehudim and Binyamin. Yehudim and Binyamin, listen to how the sentence reads now. Don't think that you can escape. Don't think that you will escape from all the, so you could say Jews, but you could also say from all, perhaps the Judeans, right? Meaning maybe you'll be able to save nepotistically, maybe you could save some of those from Binyamin, maybe you could save some of the folks in your family. But don't, don't, don't think that because the Yehudim, the Jews will, and the Judeans will have a salvation from another place. And you and your father's house will be destroyed. So it sounds like, meaning you and Binyamin, something about your father is going to be destroyed as well. Interesting. Now, you don't have to read it this way. You can read this that Yehudim means to say Jews as a whole. But if there is a dynamic between the notion of who is a Yehudi and who is a Ish Yemini, who is a person from Judah and who is a person from Benjamin, then there is an interesting dynamic which is going on, which is unfolding over here. And the question, therefore, is what is the emphasis? Why is it that we have to hear more about her as a scion of the base of Ich, of the, of the house of her father? Meaning, wouldn't it suffice to say is that your legacy, your name, your, your, your destiny is all going to be ruined? Why, why the father's house? It's like that's, like that's throwing in the kitchen sink. It's, it's, it, it, what did her father have to do with any of this? That's, that, that's the question which... Uh, which is, it's, it seems like it's a, it's a little bit of a low blow. It's not fair to her to, to, to do this. I'm sorry? Okay. So, so yeah, sure. You said from the house of Yehuda or the house of Benyamin. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I always think of the, all the tribes or that, you know, we come... So you, oh, you, I missed this part. No, so the, oh, the other tribes are already ex- exiled, unfortunately. I Meaning, so what happened was, is that, you know, in the stages of Jewish history, the ten tribes of the north and east were really exiled by the Assyrians. Then what was left was this last bastion of Jewry, which was, no, it's fine. The last bastion of, of Israel was Judah and Binyamin. You had Binyamin in the south. They were exiled by the Babylonians. Therefore, it's essentially um, Judeans and, Babylon, and ben, Benjaminites who are in Babylonian exile. So there's this dynamic, this dichotomy of who's who. 
Mordechai seems to be his bridge character who, who seems to be across both. He, um, Esther is in, in the conversation. There seems to be this dynamic between Yehuda and Binyamin in that conversation. And there's something about her and her father's house, something about Moladata, about her birthplace, which is central to who she is as a savior, as a heroine. Right? The question is, is why? Why is that so central to her? And what is she redeeming? What is it about her father or father's house, the legacy that, that she's trying to redeem? As we're going to have to try to try to work out specifically central to her and her and her legacy. It wasn't just that, that she happened to be um, a, uh, um, a a good Jew at the right time. So the first place we can look, yeah, Ilana. So is she from the tribe of Benjamin? Yes, she is from the tribe of Benjamin, like 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 Ben Mordechai is, and so therefore that's that's the that's the the juxtaposition from Beis Lavich, your house, and the Yehudim, and the and the, the perhaps the the Judeans. So we, we let, let's let's uh, let's let's reverse to somebody who is also in her family and notice all the parallels as as we learn a little bit about him. Okay, the person that we can look at right now is an individual by the name of um, Shaul Hamelach. Okay, we've looked at the, the before. There is a little bit of background, so I'm going to put on the mute, but please feel free to jump in at any point. Okay, there's just a little bit of background. Please feel free to come back in. Okay, so uh, the the Shaul Hamelach says the we're told about the following. This is our introduction to uh, to uh, to Shaul. We've never met him beforehand. And Tanakh tells us in, in, in Shmuel Aleph, Perikthes, There was a man from Benjamin. So the first thing we know about Shaul is he's also from Benjamin. Ushmoi uh, Kish, and his name is, and there's a, his, this man's name was Kish. Ben Avichael, Ben Suror, Ben Bechoras, Ben Afiach, Ben Ish Yemini Gibor Chayel. Okay, so he's an Ish Yemini, same description as Mordechai, because Yemini means a person of um, the descent of Binyamin. And he was a Gibor Chayel, so the, this person's name is Kish. Okay. Now, why does that name sound, sound familiar? Because if you remember Mordechai's description back in the, the first source, is Ish Yudia Bishushabi Rashmor, but Mordechai ben Yair ben Shimi ben Kish. Right? So, so the, if we're assuming that it's telescoping here, meaning to say it's clearly Mordechai is not four generations from the Kish in Shmuel, Shmuel Aleph, because that would be an unbelievable amount of time. But assuming that we're, that we're talking about, we'll call it central nodes on the generational chain. You know what I'm saying? So if you're looking at the family tree, some of the bigger you know, stepping stones are highlighted along the way. And if that is true, then it's interesting that Mordechai is specifically associated to this person called Kish. And he's called an Ishimini, which is precisely what Kish was. Kish was an Ishimini. He was a Benjaminite. Good? So the first thing we see is, is that it's clearly the same family strain. And the, and the Megillah... Is, is trying to accentuate that. The Megillah is trying to make us re- think about this reference point, think about this person called Kish. Let's do a little bit of research. Oh, who's Kish? Well, let's find out. He was the father of Shaul. So Shaul HaMelech was in the same line as Mordechai, ultimately coming from the Kish line. He was a young man. He was a good man. He was good, he was the finest of fine, and he was a head and shoulders above the rest. That idiom comes from here, comes from Tanakh, because he was literally a head and shoulders above the rest. He was a very tall and handsome fellow. Okay, that's where um, the, 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 that particular idiom comes from. And we know that he, uh, we're not going to read all the details right, yet, right now, but he loses his donkeys, and, he, and he's trying to find the donkeys, and he and his, his lad are out in the field, they're looking and they're looking and they're looking, and the lad says, well... The seer is around here. Why don't we go? We go, why don't we go consult with him? And they decide. Uh, they, they they they're trying to find out where the base Haroe, the, the seer, is where this where this prophet is. So off they go, and 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 they come to uh, they, they come to the, 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 the there's women by the well, and they say, oh, you, and they start talking to him. They have this long conversation about where he is. The Gemara says they wanted to engage in a long conversation. They thought he was really dazzlingly handsome. They wanted to have a long conversation with him, um, and. Uh, 
and then in in uh, in in Pasuk-Kof, they say to the following. Um, so 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 he comes to the house this year, and um, and he says, uh, "Where is the Ro'e?" And so Shmuel says, "I I am him, I am him." Pasuk-Kof, he says, of those donkeys which are lost to you." He says, don't worry about donkeys. You've got a legacy to be building, and that is the legacy of the house of your father. Oh, wow. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, those are the words that Mordechai had said to Esther, is if you don't do this, if you don't do this crucial action, you and your father's house will be destroyed. Well, what father's house? Well, that actually is a phrase he's borrowing from the way that Shmuel Anavi is initiating Shaul. You know, Shaul Amenech at this point in time has not said his response, but he, 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 at this point in time he's sort of listening to this. You know, all he was doing was trying to find the car keys, if you know what I'm saying. It wasn't like, <laughs> he wasn't out yet to become a king. And now he's being told this whole mission and, you know, future and past and base of Vilcha. And then this whole, so it's, it's sort of like the same kind of moment in that way, way is that, don't get lost in the in the grass. There's, don't get lost in the weeds. There's there's more to uh, to, to 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 talk about this. So he says, I can't be the king. What you're saying to me does not make sense because I'm I'm, I'm the least of the tribes. I'm the smallest of the families within the Benjamin. Not the, not the right material. Sorry. Why did you, you, you even insinuate that I have such, uh, such properties? So it's almost like Shaul HaMelech, which is sort of fast forward, you know, a number of generations. It's kind of like the Esther conversation there, right? Well, here yeah, you're a king, but I'm not really a king. Here you're a queen, but I'm not really a queen. Am I going to do this? Well, the stakes are too high, but the legacy of your fathers and your tribe, right? So there's, there seems to be the same kind of, um, of dynamic which is, which is happening over here um, as to the, a person who does not feel themselves worthy of um, of uh, of uh, being being that person, and it goes further because it's not uh, um, it's not it's not it, yeah sorry. Well, it's not so smart. No no no, Karen. Mm. <laughs> I'm sorry. Mm. I was just thinking of Moshe when he went to um, Mitzrayim for you know um, to speak to Paro. And he also didn't feel that he was worthy to go. Right. The great, you're right. So one of the greatest hallmarks of a good leader is the, them thinking themselves not worthy. So it's, a, it's an important rule to remember in during, during, uh, during primaries. Um, so, um, so but, but be, be it as a may. So, it, it's, it's, it, it, so, so here you go. You're right. This, this is really the hallmark of a leader. So it's interesting that what's so fascinating is almost like the negotiations Mordechai is having with Esther already echoes of a negotiation which happened earlier with somebody in the same family line. Right. So here you have, and now it's Mordechai, who's also from the same family line, trying to negotiate with Esther, who's in the same place. So, um, be it as may, he convinces, he convinces Shaul, he takes him to the sacrifice, he anoints him the next day, and he tells him to go out. And this is, this is a very fascinating story when, you, when we're learning Malach, as Shmuel Aleph, because we did it a few years ago, and there's a whole story, and he says there's going to be a group of prophets, and then you're going to meet them, and they're going to start uh, uh, prophesizing, you're going to meet three people over there, and they're going to be carrying these kinds of foods. It's like a whole business, and, and each thing happens exactly in sequence as it was supposed to. And Shaul Amena comes home, and, uh, and, uh, and, and he receives Shaul, and he goes back to work. <laughs> that's what that's what we have. We have yeah, look in, in source two. So the uncle of Shaul says, He says, no? How was the trip? You're away for a few days, everything alright? We couldn't find the donkeys, we went to Shmuel to find them. So like, tell me what the what did the prophet say to you? 
He said that the donkeys were right. But he didn't say anything about the rest of the day. <laughs> the oil, the anointing, the sacrifice, the prophecy, the, that, that business he left out. Doesn't that sound familiar? Who was another person who became a monarch but wouldn't tell anybody about the, the whole business? Well, that was Esther, right? Esther was the one who became the queen, but she wasn't telling anybody. anybody. Now, the, what she was withholding was information of her, of her birth. This is a little bit different, but there seems to be this, uh, this, this what we'll call lack of willingness to, to, so to speak, share who we are, who we really are, our worthiness of this job. It seems to be part of part and parcel of this of this fascinating, right? Ilani, yes. Oh, good question. So um, this could be, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't need to double check. It could be Avner, uh, um, who's Avner Ben Nair. Okay, so uh, so who's who's asking? But at this point in Tanakh, Tanakh doesn't uh, give us a specific who it is. But you know, interesting. By the way, what happens after this then? Is, is that, so Shmuel carries on his work, and he's like, oh, okay, guess he found the donkeys, right? And then they carry on working, and then Shmuel and Avi calls everybody together, and he says, remember, if, remember a little way back then you asked me for a king, and I found the king, and he's like, who's going to be the king? And everybody gathers together, and it's a beautiful ceremony, and they're all looking around, which tribe is it going to be from? And Yehuda's sort of getting, getting themselves ready to go onto stage. And, uh, and then, and then Shmuel and Avi comes over to the tribe of Binyam, and, and, and everybody's, you know, is, is wide-eyed, and they all, then he goes over to this family, and he goes over to the family of Kish, and, and, and then they come over to, to, to the area of the family of Kish. And uh, this, is, uh, this is where we pick up from in source 3. And he comes to the tribe of Binyamin. And the, the, the Matri family were now, were so to speak, captured. Not doesn't mean captured, but you know, Shmuel, Aminach, Shmuel Navi moves towards them. And it's clear that his intentions are to, to find a king among them. And now he comes to the seat. Of Shaul, who's about to become, become the king by Nimsa, and his <laughs> seat's empty. <laughs> he's just not there. He's not in his seat. So, and so he quickly consults and he says, Was there somebody else over here? He says, In, in the pantry. <laughs> so, where's the king? The king is hiding. Bring him out. It's not like he can hide, you know. He walks out and like, you know, his, uh, you know, NBA uh, profile. Right, so it's, uh, it's, uh, he's, he's out there. Everybody notices him. He says, wow, let the king, long live the king. Also an idiom which was taken from here. Um, so now, at this point in time, if we think about it for a moment, he has another expression of this, this, this sort of this, this very extreme humility, this extreme humility where he knows he's the king, he's been told he's the king, he, now's the coronation, this is it, what's he going to do? They're going to they're choose somebody else, God's going to change his mind? No, but he's in the pantry, so he doesn't want, he doesn't want to have to take on the, the, the robes of the, uh, of the monarch. And then, what happens is, is that people see this, you know, do people like strong leaders, do people like... Uh, pleasant leaders. The truth is, we, we probably need more pleasant leaders, but people like strong leaders, right? <laughs> people like people who are going to say things very rashly and brashly and, and uh, tell every, that everybody else is, is bad and good. So, so it turns out that people sense the hesitance in, Sh- in, Sh- in Shmuel, in Shaul HaMelech. And this is what happens. So then Sh- Shmuel reads them riot act and he tells them what's going to happen. He sends everybody back home and he Tells them this is what kings do, right? There's going to be taxes and all the things that you didn't want, that you thought you were going to be all good. Well, here it is. I'm going to leave it over here for you folks. Um, 
וגם שאול הולך לבייס רגיב עוזר ויוכו שמוי החייל אשר נגע אלוקים בליבו. They went with him and they accompanied home. This is the king, this is amazing. But there were other folks as well. There always are other folks. Uh, <laughs> this guy is going to save us? The man who's hiding in the pantry? The man who doesn't, uh, who can't tell us what, what, what happened? He's, he's going to be the king? You think he's going to save us from our enemies? He can't stand up to us? He can't, he's going to stand up to, to, to the folks on the outside? Foreign policy? He's going to be able to stand up to Russia? Really? No, 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 nothing, nothing to talk about. They, they, they disgraced him. Everybody else was bringing them these, these meal offerings. He, they, they, these folks never did. And what, what did he do? And he, and he was silent. That should sound familiar because that's precisely what Mordechai was saying to Esther. In fact, it's the same word. He says, So now the, the image starts, starts growing, to, uh, growing a little bit now. So now what Mordechai is really saying, what Mordechai is quoting, because Esther no doubt has read these Pesukim, um, is if you're going to be silent in the face of those who say you can't be a leader, and you're going to therefore not take umbrage when you need to do what is necessary, and it's going to be a, we'll call strong actions. Then you and your father's house will be destroyed. Right? So meaning to say, there's something that Shalomelech left, and he didn't do correctly that needs to be corrected now. So the, the picture is becoming a little fuller. And what ends up happening is, is um, Shmuel. Oh, so the, what happens is, oh, the next the next step just skip to the story over here is is that. Shalomel does not take action against these folks, but then he's called into action because a war ensues on the east bank of the Jordan. There's a city called Yavesh Gilad, or an area which is now surrounded by the Ammonites. Um, Nachash is the king, and he makes a very simple proposition. He says, you know, if you just remove your left eye, then every can be tax-paying servants to me, and that'll be fine. Um, very, very uh, fine fellow, it sounds like. Um, and, um, and so they, they, they say, give us seven days. And he says, ha, 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 give, I'll give you however long you want. And, uh, and then send me your eyes, please. So what happens is, is that, um, is that they, they, make, they make a plea to this newly uh, initiated king. You know, Charlotte, I mean, I thought he'd be doing, you know, like, you know, you know sort of, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, speeches at, uh, at, you know, starting with new, new ship ceremonies. But the first thing that he got was, <laughs> was, the, was the siege in the east. And so, uh, um, and, uh, and uh, they, he comes out there. And he fights them, he gathers all of Israel, fights them, it's a remarkable victory, and they, they b- b- beat back Ammon. At that point in time, all the followers of Shaul said, ah, so let's go seek out those folks who didn't like you, right? All those people who didn't bring the mincha, we have their addresses, email, email, and we know, we, we can track their phones, we'll, we'll take them out for you, Shaul and no more, no more problems in, in society. And Shaul and responds, they say, who are those folks who said you you do work going to be king? We'll kill them right now. Today's the day when Hashem made a salvation in Israel. It's not a, not a, today. A salvation day is not going to be a bloodbath day. We're not going to kill our own at this time. So that's what Shal Shal essentially insists. He backs down. He sorry. He he he, he digs in to his decision of Macharish, of keeping quiet. Right. He says, I I was right by not killing them then, and I'm right by not killing them now as well. And in fact, by the way, actually, if you look at the Pesukim in Mishlei, which referred to this, it says, Boz l'rei chasar lev, um, that a person who, 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 uh, um, um, who, who disgraces another person um, is, is lacking of heart, v'ish tvunos yacharish. 
and a person who of, of knowledge will, will, will keep be quiet. And that's really quoting these psukim, almost like lauding and saying, what a wonderful person. She has Shalom Melech who has the opportunity of killing people because of his own personal, you know, insult, and he doesn't do that. What a, what a laudable, and we should all be like that, you know. People insult us, we should just let it, you know, like water off the duck's back. It shouldn't be, a, shouldn't be an issue. Um, but... It, the truth be told, the Gemara actually says that it's for this reason that Shaul Amalek started losing his kingship. This is already the, 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 the last of his kingship. You say, why? It's such a very good characteristic. It's a wonderful and, 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 and you know, thing to, for a person to have. Says, says, says the Gemara, no, no, the reason is, is because you may be an individual, as an individual, we should all, all be um, aspiring to be people who are ne'elave en ma alivin. We we insulted and we don't insult, right? That, that, that people cut us off in traffic and we tell, it's, it's all right, it's all right, it's not the end of the world. We'll get there three seconds later to the next light where we all wait together. You know, like, it'll be all right. So, so um, it's, it's, it's all right to do that. That's the kind of people we should be. Um, but... When we wear the crown of, of, of monarchy, when, when our seat in society is a little more than us as a human being, as an individual, so the seat is, is, is of, of a station in society, represents something, then you don't have the right to just waive your, your dignity. You represent something. So if your office is being insulted, then you should take, uh, take umbrage. If you are the governor of a particular area and they say, and, they go spit, and somebody goes and spits in your face, there should be repercussions for that because they're not spitting in your face as an individual, they're spitting in the face of the seat of government. That person needs to be taken care of. And so that's what the, the Gemara says. Gomorrah says that Shaul Amalek at this point in time should have, should have been a little more strong about his own, his, so to speak, his, his seat. And that's why this is the same, it's the same Achilles heel which leads us to the Haftarah we read in Pasha Zahar, which is where Shaul Amalek is now conf- confronting Amalek. Um, notice, by the way, another parallel is that out of the three times that Amalek is fought head on, um, was well, really four times, but three times in Tanakh that it's fought head on, Two of those three times are fought by a person from Benjamin. One is Esther in Megiddo's Esther, and one is Shaul, right? So notice, by the way, that the double, the, double, the double fight in these two generations against the Amalek. When Shaul Amalek did it, he didn't do it fully. Why didn't he do it fully? So um, w- w- the accusation that Shmuel Anavi says to him, which you read in the Haftarah, is as follows in Source 5. He says, Shmuel, You may seem small in your own eyes, meaning... You may be a humble person. You may be a worthy person to get the middle award and everything. People should all be like you, Shrala Melech. But, Rosh, you take Yisrael out of but you have a station. You have a seat in society. Hashem made you a king. You're not just yourself. And Hashem said, eradicate these sinners, these Ammonites. And you didn't listen. You didn't listen to them. Right, so Shalomelech was not willing, so to speak, at this point in time, to take that strong hand necessary to be the king, even though as an individual. He was acting still as an individual in the same way that he was Kamacharish, as he was silent when people insulted him. He was also somewhat silent when it came to the will of the people, when it came to, they said, oh, we're going to kill everybody, every, every last one of them. What a, what, a, what, a, what a carnage, you know, is that really what we're supposed to be doing? He had Chemna, he had this, he had this uh, graciousness, um, or this, this mercy, on on um, on on the people of Amalek based on the the crowds the crowds popular uh, popular belief at this point in time, and uh, and Shaul and and Shaul thereby lost his melucha. So it's the same, so to speak, Achilles heel. It's the same problem all the way through, which seems to be wi- 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 uh, um, winding us itself all the way through. So it is interesting. It seems to be just in sort of the bigger picture of things that Esther is really inheriting 
so to speak, the story of her predecessor. Right? So the, the first king from the house of Binyamin was Shaul. The last king that we have, at least in, in, in Tanakh, who's a king from Binyamin, is, or queen from Binyamin, is Esther. So they are the parallels of each other. And Mordechai is using the language of the story to emphasize to her that this, the problems that Shaul and Menach made don't make the same mistakes. Don't be quiet. Don't be too personal. Be grand. Right? Be something bigger than yourself because that's what you ought to and that's what you owe to society. That seems to be the conversation which is playing out. Right? So that's the harmony. When we read Tanakh, we need to read the harmonies not just the melody, okay, of the, of the story. So, but it's more than that. So the truth is, is, um, is, is that it actually uh, um, is, uh, is, 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 is more than that. The Gemara actually says that it starts earlier than both Esther and Mordechai. We have to go further back. Why so? So the Gemara tells us a very beautiful thing. I'm sure that we've heard this Gemara in various different variations, but the Gemara is to be found in Megillah, Yud Gimel, on the topic of Purim, but it says the following. Bishart in source. Um, this is actually source of bottom page five. Bishart In the because of the tsnios, how do you translate tsnios usually? It's a hard modesty. modesty right? So because of the modesty that Rachel had, that's why she had um, a child. She bore forth a child who was the king, who was Shaul. Because remember, Rachel has Binyamin, and Binyamin is is the father of of Shaul. Bishart tsnios shoyes of Abishol zochav yatsavimenu Esther. Because of the modesty that Shaul Amalek had, that is why um, I mean, she, she, he begot, ultimately he was the, the patriarch of Esther. So we see that the Chazal essentially put them all three in a line, right? So it's not just looking at isolatedly um, Rach, sorry, um, Esther and, and uh, um, Shaul. We need to take it one step back. We need to look at the triad, essentially, which is all the way up to Rachel. So it seems that the unique value or the unique characteristic which, which combines all three of them is this word sneos, right, which is this modesty. Now we can apply that in the case of Shaul and, 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 uh, and, uh, and Esther, the sneos is, this, so to speak, the sense of not wanting the seat, not wanting to be there. That's, that seems to be a laudable fact. It seems to be good. The Gemara is going to explain what... There is another element. There is a Yefetor. was Yefetor. That's true. Shaul was very tall and... That is true. There also. That's true. You're right. So actually the words itself play that out. I mean to say what Dina is saying is that this is not just simply about uh, just the, this characteristic, but there's a lot of other common denominators which, which seem to be very explicit in the words. 100% correct. What is interesting is ideologically it's saying is out of all the things that, that Rachel did in her life, what was the one thing which was this hallmark characteristic which, which allowed her to beget a child? Was Shaul. And in fact, he picked that up and that was what allowed him to have the same child. So it's just a very, very powerful message which seems to be that we're called the the, this, this hallmark characteristic. So where do we see this in their lives? Like Tznios in the life of Rachel? If we, would, if we would be asked the top 10 characteristics that Rachel expressed, I don't know if that we would have arrived at Tznios. I'm not sure if that would have been, modesty would have been, the, that, that trait would have automatically applied to it. Other things, yes, but I'm not sure about that would, we would have been the, the one. And, and sort of perhaps in today's common day and age, the use of the word perhaps might be so the difference, we have to try to understand what, what really is being said here. So let's try to uh, pick this apart. The Gemara says the following. Second So when, when Yaakov introduced her, himself to her at the well, he says that he is the father of, uh, uh, the brother of her father. Now, the Gemara says, that's not precisely true. That's exactly true, right? This sounds like the, you know, tempering with the Shidduch resume here a little bit, right? You know, I don't know. It doesn't, doesn't work exactly. He's, he's a cousin, right? Let's, let's do the, 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 the family tree quickly for, for a moment, folks. Okay, so Yaakov's mother is Rivka. Rivka's bro, uh, brother is Lavan. Lavan's, Lavan's daughter is Rogel's, like they're cousins. He's not his uncle, right? 
So, so the Gemara so says, no, 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 what is the Pasuk really telling us? The Pasuk is conveying to us that he was trying to tell us something else. What was that? He says, he, he says, he, he puts his right knee on the floor. And he says, please, Rachel, will you marry me? in. She says, with pleasure. He says, but my, but my dad is no good, Nick. He's a, he's a, dece- a deceiver. He's a, he's a crook. He's not going to allow this to happen easily. He says, I am his brother in deceit. So what's Yaakov really saying? He's not saying the relationship. He is saying, I understand. I'll deal with folks like your dad. We'll work it out. We'll, we'll make a plan ahead of time now that, that we will ensure that this, this, this marriage is eloping. Will, will occur. <laughs> She's just come out of seminary. And she meets him and he says, I can trick him. She's like, are you allowed to do that? You're like, Yaakov uh, <laughs> you come from the family. Yes, like you're allowed to trick people like that. Is that, is that appropriate? Right? He says, he says, you're right. You actually are allowed to because in Navar Titabor, you have to speak the language of the folks you deal with. And if you're dealing with a crook, you, have to, you, you can't just be, oh, oh yes, I'll, I'll give my credit card details over to you because you asked for them. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> right? you, have to, you have to deal with these, these crooks in, the, in a crooked way. Amalei, well, Maram so, so she says, what, what, what are we going to do? What's the plan? Amalei, uh, uh, says, Amalei, she says, um, oh, so, sorry, he asked her, what is the, the trickery? Meaning, like, go into the mind of your father for a second. What would he do? What would he do if, if, if he knew that I wanted to get married to you? Uh, he says, I know that I've got an older sister. Her name is Leah. He's not going to allow me to get married before her. And that's what's going to happen. So he says, you know, I'll give you these special signs. Special signs that will that, that, that we'll know that it's uh, uh, that who, 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 who we both are. When it came to that night, so she knows her sister's being switched in. She knows her sister's going to be terribly embarrassing. Can you imagine? At the wedding, at the wedding hall, you know, everything's there. The flowers, the arrangement, the, the, the guests are there. The music is going off and then it's discovered. It's Leia. Can you imagine how, how unbelievably embarrassing that would be for her? She's going to be stuck under the chuppah by herself. Um, it says, She gave them over to her sister. And that's why Yaakov did not really realize. What, he wasn't there until now. That's why she got out, that's why she was able to produce a Sha'ul. And finally the Gemara says, Because he didn't tell anybody he was a king. Okay, so now let's go, let's, let's analyze this for just a second. Um, I understand that Shalomelech's actions of not wanting to tell anybody that he became the king, that, that, I think that's a fair assessment to say that that's modest, right? That's, that's Tanua. He's a Tanua uh, person. But like, I, I don't know, if, if you were to see this whole story, right? So Yaakov in the well, brother in Shikari, what's he going to trick? How are we going to do it? This is, and, then, and then she goes and hands over that. What attribute, what characteristic would you say that Rachel is, is displaying over here? Empathy. Empathy is good, right? So... Empathy is, is, is she, she, she feels her sister's pain and say, how could you put your sister through that? That's not sneers precisely, right? <laughs> That's not exactly sneers, right? Um, so there's, it is a little, a little funny here how to call that, uh, to call that sneers. Um, so Rav Chaim Shmulevitz in reading this Gemara says a very beautiful thing. And that is if you fast forward in the story to later on when, um, where, when the children are being born and Leah has all these children, Rachel has no children. And, um, 
And then, and then what happens is, is that Reuven comes back to the field, he's found these mandrakes. Okay, mandrakes have got, got fascinating properties. Um, and uh, and uh, Rachel then says, asks for them from, from, from Reuven. And Leah turns to her and says, it's, it's not enough you took my husband. Now you're going to take the Dudai Bani, you're going to take the, the mandrakes of my son. How can you do this? Now like, think about this for a second. Like, Leah, <laughs> Leah. Leah, she gave you the simonim. She gave you her husband. And now you have the gall to say, and you, now you've taken my husband, and now you're taking the plants? Have some, have some perspective, Leah. And the answer says, Rachel Shulevet says, is because when Rachel gave the simonim to Leah, she was able to convince Leah in such a way that Leah really believed that she was the one Yaakov wanted to marry. And that this was not a trick. That's how far Rachel did. Now, if you think about this for a moment, we all like to give gifts. We all like people to know that we give gifts, right? <laughs> we like to sort of drop a hint somewhere that you know that we <laughs> that we're involved in you know in this you know elaborate elaborate scheme that we do for people, right? So you know we, we like that feeling. Rachel's tznios, her modesty, was the fact that she concealed herself so well in this whole scheme that Leah really thought later on the fact that he loved Rachel more was really actually taking her husband because she thought that really she was supposed to be married to Yaakov. That's Tzniyos. That's the absolute expression of self-negation that La Rachel did for her sister. Because if Leah had gone in and knowing, okay, well, you know what I'll do is I'll do trick number one, trick number two, trick number three, whatever the simonim are. It's a big discussion in the Mephoshim as to what they really are. But if she, if she were to, to, to display these tricks, but she knows that really Nebach, I mean, it's like, she, you know, can you imagine how, what, a, what a Nebach situation that is? But she never thought that. Not from, not from day one because of Rachel. So much so that she could say this to Rachel. So that, that's the Tznios. This, this means to say that Tznios in this expression over here is the most extreme form of, of self-negation, right? Self-negation, where you see it by Shaul, he's, he becomes king. You just want to, don't want to say it. That's the same hallmark attribute that, that Esther is displaying and Mordechai is now trying to pivot it the other way. Yes, Ilana. The person who thinks Yeah. Yes. Hundred percent. When you when you remove self, when you're removing self to a certain degree, where it's, you don't need to be the most prominent of of, uh, of of people in this experience, then that's that's when Snios comes in. Yep. That's that's so that, that explanation is really goes against the Pesukim. How, how so? How <laughs> she so? Keeps on, she keeps on naming all those children, so her husband will come back to her. So how how could she believe? How could Rachel make her believe that her husband loves her? It just really goes against the supreme itself. Well, let's, let's just clarify. They got married seven days apart from each other. Right? So what happened was that first Yaakov marries Leah, and then he marries Rachel. So from, Le from Leah's perspective, there's two, there's two wives now. And she sees that Yaakov, you know, is, is, more, um, is more in love, is more connected to this, uh, her younger sister. The name comes so much later. Correct. But at this point in time, she thinks she's the chosen wife. She thinks Rachel is the second come over here. And over time, she sees that her husband is more spending more time and is, has more terms of endearment for Rachel. So she feels that what was really supposed to be hers is being taken from her over these years, which is why she names her children as an expression of that. But never does it cross her mind, according to this perspective, that it was not justly hers in the first place. That's so. That's the argument. So that would be the way to read this, Karen. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with this so much. Not you. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about Shaul and how, you know, how, you know, he, he didn't, you know, he was, didn't, wasn't showy and he was 
very, you know, he didn't want to be in your face. And, and then we have, we're talking about how Mordechai wanted to make sure that Esther didn't follow the same path as Shaul and really Rachel. I don't know. I think that what Rachel did was wrong, frankly. Really, think about it. You know, she had her, the person that was supposed to marry her, marry her sister. I don't think, I don't know. I mean, we all talk about, wow, she was so pious, she was this, this, and that. I'm sorry. I think that she should have, I don't think that this was a place that she should have done that. I think it was wrong. It was, and it wasn't fair to Leah either, by the way, because throughout her life, she knows he doesn't love her. So why was that fair to her? There's nothing fair about this. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So listen, we, we first of all, we live in an era which we live in an era which which does you know the, this value, this kind of level of sacrifice is not a not necessarily a value. Just to appreciate the society we live in. But uh, but you're right. The, the question is, is is can we change things? You know, we we live in a society where we think we can change everything. You know, if we just don't like something, we'll just write a blog post and then the world will come behind us and get behind us. But that wasn't necessarily the, the patriarchal world that Rachel lived in. So well, could she change this? You know, could she change this? The answer may be no. And so the question is, if she can't change this situation, what is she going to do about it? Is she going to live in negativity or is she going to be able to find a way yeah, to deal with it? Father's deception, not hers. No, right. but, but if you're talking about Shaul, how a leader, a leader has to be a certain way. You can't be somebody who just says, no, it's okay, it's all right. You have to be able to stand up and, and lead and be strong. So I guess when I look at Rachel, I think she had an opportunity here to be a strong woman and to... to and to not give in to something, I don't know. I'm sorry. Maybe that goes against everything that we. No, sorry. So, so Karen, well, maybe that's what we're exploring a little bit over here. Is 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 that maybe maybe that extreme with only that extreme might be might, might be negative. Now the, the division it seems to be by Shaul Hamelach is personally actually it's a it's it's a good thing to be to be mena ne'elave enomalivin. It's better to be the one who is insulted rather than the one insulting. Not when you're right. You know when you're a king. Yes, you know when when it comes to Rachel, it's personal though. That's that, that that's what it is, and she's she made that decision by herself. Um, but this is why Esther comes and does the tikkun. Good. So that's what that's what that's what Esther's coming in. So Esther's trying to fix this, Dina. As you're saying, is that this is the necessary step to be rectify this. Now I think the pivotal moment, I think the crux of the whole issue, actually exists around her son around Rachel's son, who's not mentioned in the Gemara, but we've looked at three individuals, right? We've looked at Rachel, Shaul, and Esther, and the Gemara lines them up all having the hallmark trait of Tznios. I would say that it perhaps goes around, and, and the, the crucial, the crux of this whole issue is Binyamin himself. Because remember that this is perhaps why it is that Binyamin himself has two names. Why, why is that relevant? Because Binyamin actually was born in suffering. He was born at a terrible time, uh, really on the death pangs of Rachel, the deathbed of Rachel. And he has two names, one from his mother and one from his father. The name from his mother is Ben Oni, and the other one is Ben Yamin, right? Now, what is interesting about this is what, what, how, how are these two names, how they relate to each other. So the, the, the Ramban says a very beautiful thing. The Mephoshim spent a lot of time talking about this. Take a look at source 6. He says, what seems to me in my eyes is correct. It's the second, the second paragraph, it's on page 6. What was she saying when she said Ben, ben Oni? What's the word On? Comes the word Onain. You know, Onain is that, st- that terrible stage between death and burial, oh, right. right? So it's, a, it's a, that sort of that, that limbo state of, of burial. And so what she's saying is that this is my, she understands she's dying. She knows she's dying and she says, this is the son of my death. That's just saying, that's just she's saying, it's terrible bitterness that she says about, about this child. Milechem Oinim. 
that's from the Pasuk in Asha, Lo Yachalzi Ba'ani, as another Pasuk in, in Parshas Kisavai. Um, so what, what this means to say is, is that, and if you think about this for a moment, one of the, one of the things about an onen in Halacha is, is an onen ein loy peh, doesn't have a mouth. Doesn't have a mouth. What does that mean? There's very little to say. And, and, and frankly speaking, if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't spend too much time talking to an onen. It's not the time to talk. How, how, how were they sick for so long? And it was a sudden. Now that's, that's the shiver. We'll, we'll talk about the shiver. Now is not the time to start asking those questions. And onen is ain lope. It doesn't have a mouth. It's not appropriate to talk to them. Is that fascinating? Because what was the hallmark trait of Shaul and Esther was macharish, silence. That was, that was this one element of the sort of silence. They were not, they were not an active uh, character necessarily. However, the father, so to speak, changed Binyamin to, to some degree. And so, Aviva Soloi, Min Oni, Koyachi. But the word on can have another mean, meaning. And that is on from the word strength. As an example, Miloshan Reishis Oni. The bracha that Yaakov Vino gave to, um, to Ruven was Koyachi, my strength. But Reishis Oni, this is the, the beginning of my strength. There was the first, essentially, the first child bearing that Yaakov and Leah had was through, was through Ruven. That was on, that was strength. So what, what, what essentially he's doing is he's pivoting the same word, the word on, right, from the silent, passive, so to speak, receiver to a powerhouse or, or a expression of energy. And, and he goes to another passage in Yeshayel. So therefore, what's he, why does his father call him Binyamin? He wasn't disagreeing with, with, with Leah. What he was doing was he was actually capturing one of the aspects of what the name of, of, of Rachel had said. Rachel had said Benoni, which has a dual meaning, the meaning of silence and, 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 and mourning and son of strength, right? Because remember, she had to give birth to him in all this pain, right? In, in, in the death pangs. So both of those meanings. The father says, I'll adopt the second of those meanings, which is the strength. How will I do that? I will do it by calling him Benjamin, the son of my right hand, right hand symbi- symbolizing him. nothing against ambidextrous or left-handed people, but, uh, but, but generally speaking, the, the, str- the stronger hand. So he captures the one element of, um, of who Benjamin is supposed to, do, or do, to be. Because sometimes you think of this as an argument between the father and the mother. It's not. It's really the positive viewing of this child. And I would wonder, even in a certain sense, if that's precisely those two ideas are embedded deeply in the spiritual psychology of who Binyamin is. And really, Shaul has both of those. He has this, this sort of, Benoni, this, this, silent, this silent passive individual, person who's, who's, who has such refined um, characteristics that other people attack him and he doesn't even respond. That's the Benoni side of him. But he also has the Binyamin side of him. And that Binyamin d- demands of him certain very br- strong actions at certain times. And when Shaul, Shmuel Anavi sees that he's not doing that, that's when the Meluch is turn, t- torn away from him. Now fast forward to Esther, comes along Esther, and the same, the same question becomes is, which side of that equation are you going to adopt at this point in time? The Ben-Oni or the Ben-Benyamin within you as well? In fact, it takes a one step further, just the one Maral's idea, and then we'll close with this, because it has been a lot of time, I apologize. Um, but the Maral says a very beautiful thing. Um, and he says that, um, in fact, the, the reason why uh, that, that, um, that it, is, it is really it is always Binyamin who has the upper hand, so to speak, on Amalek, is because Binyamin, in a certain sense, is the, the scion of the house of Yaakov, 
And Amalek is the scion of the house of Asaph, right? They're not, they're not the, 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 the whole house. They're, the, the, so to speak, the, the, the um, prince of each of those houses. But if you think about it for a moment, Asaph is the firstborn. Binyamin is the lastborn of two lastborns, right? So he is the, young, the youngest child of the youngest son married to the youngest daughter, right? So he's the youngest of the youngest of the youngest, right? Who's fighting against the oldest. And so says, the Maral explains that what happens is, is that when you have the youngest, so to speak, the smallest, the tail end of the generations, you know, you know how, how it is. There's a, there's a very wonderful individual in Ashul who's um, an elderly man, and he says to me he was the youngest of 11 children. And he says, when I was a baby, they practically forgot that I was around. <laughs> you know, after 10 children, you know, the baby sort of left in the side. You know, that, that's how it goes. You know, they're all fend for themselves. You know, so, so Binyamin is, this, you know, is, is, in the, is in the side. He's this quiet child. You know, he doesn't get all that attention. The curfew doesn't really apply to him in the same kind of way. He's kind of like on the side. You know, we all know how it goes. So he says, that is the expression of the notion of tsnios. He's like, in a certain sense, what does tsnios of Binyamin mean? It means to say that he, he wasn't, there wasn't the fanfare. There wasn't this, all this tarah. They didn't have the big Shalom Zohar and Shul when Binyamin was born, you know, and the, you know, the blue fireworks. And it was, <laughs> it was like, oh, no, same caterer, same, same oil, let's go. You know, we know how this works. So Binyamin really was kind of like under the, under the radar. That under the radar was what enabled him to fight the, the so to speak, the, 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 the powerful firstborn expression of Amalek. Why? Because the most outward expression of a human being is their hands, where they're able to reach their creativity. That's what we call the Yadai Yadai Esav. That's the, that's the outer world. What is the innermost point is we move furthest from the hands, which is inwards, into something which is not even physical, which is the voice. Where is the voice of Jacob, the voice of Yaakov, found? It says in the youngest, in the smallest, in the most unnoticeable. So ironically speaking, says the Maharal, it's precisely because of the tsnios, because of that underlying characteristic, which allows Binyamin to actually realize the kayach of the spiritual persona, not the physical persona, which is to be found in the more powerful ideas. In fact, if you wanted to think about this, if you don't look at all Sefer Bereshis, you know, Sefer Bereshis seems, seems to be a polemic against firstborns, right? You notice that all the firstborns don't seem to do so well all the way through, right? And, and the firstborns get very, very upset about this along, along the way. And what is interesting about that, we can think about all the examples, but in a certain sense what it is, Rav Hirsch says, is that it's a polemic against power. Because the firstborn is the powerful one, is the celebrated one, is the one who's given all the extra karate lessons, is the one who, right, they, they, they're the ones who get it all, let's be honest. So the, the Torah is trying to reorient ourselves as to what really matters. And it's, it's perhaps the, that which matters, which is the least noticed, is what needs to be able to matter. However, in order to matter, there needs to be, this, there needs to be the right amount of sneers, and the right amount of action, and that's that. that that's the, that's what goes on over here. So perhaps this is a, I, this is an idea which originally originally um, learned in the, in the works of Rabbi Avram Rivlin, who was Mamashkech when I was in Kerem Biavne. Just fascinating. He has a book called Hester and Esther. It's about just two and three, two or three pages out of the four hundred of them. Um, but uh, it, it is a it is a very beautiful perspective in trying to link up really essentially four individuals: Rachel to Binyamin. And the dual entity of Binyamin as it expresses itself both in Shal and in Esther and that tikkun um, that, that, that is made out of full generations. Yes, Ilana. I have a question. If it's the least noticed that's what matters, the least noticed then has to assert themselves even harder. Yes, in order to, at the right time, exactly. Correct? 100%. So that's what matters. Yep. The least noticed will become assertive and will... Grow strong. At heart, they need to remain the most sanua. 
but there's times where they need to assert what policy is. And that's, this is the moment where Esther needs to assert herself. She can no longer be the passive um, one at the back of the train. She now needs to drive the train. There's moments in history, and that's why I think at Tovedo is the house of your father. I mean, you say, back to Shaul, back to Binyamin, back to Rachel. Can you fix this? Can you use this moment for a moment to step out of character? Fascinating. Folks? Uh, good, fascinating. A lot, lot to think about. Again, again, it's just like we need to read Tanakh as a symphony. And uh, not not just as a not just as a as a as, as a melody, um, folks.